scripture maybe will uh, might be somewhat familiar. Uh, pulling some things out of it this morning, and uh, reading from Genesis chapter twenty-one. Uh, it's kind of tough to pick uh, different parts out in Genesis and just encapsulate the whole story in one thing, but we will try and and uh, we'll read a little bit more this morning. We're going to read Genesis 21, verses 8 through 20, and hopefully catch enough of it that we can get where we need to go today. Beginning in verse 8 of Genesis 21, and the child grew and was weaned, this is speaking of Isaac, and Abraham made a great feast the same day that Isaac was weaned, and Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, which she had borne unto Abraham, mocking, wherefore, which their brothers, I mean, what do you expect Ishmael to do, their brothers? You'd think the age gap would help, but it doesn't. Wherefore, she said unto Abraham, Cast out this bondwoman and her son, for the son of this bondwoman shall not be my heir with my son, even with Isaac. So Sarah sees this, and she has an issue with Ishmael mocking her son. She says, Get this lady out of here and her child. And the thing was very grievous in Abraham's sight because of his son. And God said unto Abraham, Let it not be grievous in thy sight because of the lad, and because of thy bondwoman, and all that Sarah has said unto thee, hearken unto her voice, for in Isaac shall thy seed be called. And also of the son of the bondwoman will I make a nation, because he is thy seed. And Abraham rose up early in the morning. It's interesting to know that Abraham, when God speaks to him, he usually gets up pretty early to go do what God told him. He doesn't wait around, he just goes and does it. But he rose up early in the morning, he took bread and a bottle of water, and gave it unto Hagar, putting it on her shoulder and the child, and sent her away. And she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. And the water was spent in the bottle, and she cast the child under one of the shrubs. And she went and sat down over against him a good way off, as it were a bowshot. For she said, Let me not see the death of the child. And she sat over against him and lift up her voice and wept. And God heard the voice of the lad. And the angel of God called to Hagar out of heaven and said unto her, What aileth thee, Hagar? Fear not, for God hath heard the voice of the lad where he is. Arise, lift up the lad, and hold him in thine hand, for I will make him a great nation. And God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water, and she went and filled the bottle with water and gave the lad drink. And God was with the lad, and he grew and dwelt in the wilderness and became an archer. So here we have the story of Hagar and Ishmael being cast out of the tents of Abraham. This is their banishment. This is the last that we hear of the story of Hagar herself, really, even though Scripture later tells us the descendants of Ishmael. And uh, we have uh, a mention of her by Paul later on in Galatians. This is the last of the story. So we don't really know what happened to Hagar specifically after this. Now, we know that Ishmael... He did become the father of many nations. Uh, that is the Islamic religion. That is who they claim is they trace their lineage through Ishmael to Abraham. And so both Judaism and uh, the Islamic faith trace Abraham as their father. So you have two religions that are very uh, uh, old religions. And there's a lot of myth. There's a lot of uh, conjecture because of this. There's a lot of stories surrounding Hagar. And so you can get down all kind of rabbit holes about trying to figure out some things, and there's people that believe this and believe that, and this story is... But what we know from Scripture, what we can take from Scripture, there's not a whole lot that's known about Hagar, but we do know that she was an Egyptian. Some feel that she was a slave that was 
uh, given to Abraham when he went down to Egypt a few chapters before. He had gone down to Egypt, and he had, before they got there, he tells Sarah, why don't you make sure Pharaoh knows that you're my sister, not my wife, because I don't want him to kill me, and then they take you uh, to be his wife. So uh, that story transpired, and some feel that, that as, as a recompense, Pharaoh gave Hagar to Abraham uh, as a gift to, to get him out of there, give him a gift, and send him on his way in good faith. Some even feel that she was an Egyptian princess that she was a daughter of Pharaoh. Some feel that she actually uh, caught something of Sarah and Abraham and their, their belief in God and their faith. And some believe that she willingly left Egypt, that she said, I want to be the servant of Sarah, and that she left Egypt of her own accord. But we see this story unfolds that Sarah begins to doubt uh, the word of God, that she will have a child. God has spoken to Abraham and Sarah and told him she'll have a child. And it's, it's just not happening, and they're getting older. And so Sarah tells Abraham, I'm going to give you my maidservant, Hagar, so that you can have a descendant. By the way, this is called when the bottle runs dry. I forgot to tell you that. Which reminds me to take a drink. I'm going to take some drinks during this. Since I'm talking about a bottle running dry, it's very appropriate. So we find that Sarah tells... Um, Hagar to go uh, to Abraham, and she conceives a child. She becomes pregnant, pregnant and this is where uh, problems begin to arise. Up until this point, we don't read of any problems between Sarah and Hagar, and there arises conflict uh, from both sides. Hagar begins to um, think of herself as an equal with Sarah, and Sarah doesn't like it, so all of this uh, conflict starts. And it gets to the point where a pregnant Hagar decides to run away. She runs away to the wilderness. And really, uh, I, I feel, uh, you know, there's, there's many sides to every story. You know that. You know when you hear one side of the story, it's best to go find out the other side because there's more than one side to the story. And in this story, it seems uh, that, that, you know, we have, we have the descendants of Ishmael. We have all of this stuff going on. Um, and we have Hagar, but really when you look at this situation as it is in this moment, up until Hagar gets pregnant, she runs away to the desert, none of this is Hagar's fault. She's a servant, she's supposed to do what she's told to do, she has no control, it's not necessarily her fault, this is, she has her issues and she has all these things just like all of us do, but it, it really isn't her fault what has taken place. And she has her issues, she has problems, and, and, and later on, Paul uses Sarah and Hagar's examples of the law and grace. Hagar represents the law, and, and, and Sarah represents grace. And so, uh, Hagar comes out the worst in most stories. She ends up being the bad person in most stories. And, and, and like I said, there's usually more than one side to the story. And when you read it, you can find a lot of bad and a lot of good in most of the characters in Scripture. Hagar and Sarah had some issues. Moses killed people. There's always something going on. God speaks to Abraham, and the first thing that Abraham does after God speaks to him is disobey him. So there's always a little bit more to the story. But we have, this, uh, we have the bad example of Sarah and Abraham trying to work out God's plan. They're the ones who have messed up the story. They're the ones who have messed up what God is trying to do, not Hagar. She's just doing what she's been told to do. She really has no say in what is about to happen. She's just doing what she's been told. 
And, and this wasn't something abnormal at the time, that if, if, if a lady could not bear children, then she would send her handmaid to her husband. But really, Hagar at this point is a victim of circumstance, of her life circumstance. Sarah felt slighted, and so she begins to mistreat Hagar. Like I said, Hagar decides to leave. She decides to run away. And, and uh, we find the story in chapter 16 that she's sitting in the wilderness by a well, and an angel comes to her in the desert and tells her to submit and go back. Now, as far as dynamic encounters with the divine, this is really amazing when you begin looking at it, too, because few in Scripture have had more divine encounters than Hagar. She had an angel twice come to her and tell her what to do. How many have seen an angel here? If you have, I'm not discounting it. I've never seen an angel, and Hagar, the bad one, she's seen two of them. And God is telling her what to do. We find that the first time the angel comes to her, it was by a fountain of water in the wilderness. She's pregnant, escaping Sarah, and the angel comes and speaks to her. And in Genesis 16, 13, it says, And she called the name of the Lord that spake unto her, Thou God seest me. For she said, Have I also here looked after him that seeth me? So she calls on God as a foreigner, as a stranger, and God acknowledges her in her life. God looks down at this Egyptian lady, whether she was a princess or whatever she was, God looks down and God very, uh, in, in a very powerful way begins to speak to her. And she recognizes that God sees her where she is, that God sees her in her moment of distress, that God acknowledges her. And it's at this time that Hagar receives a promise. And the angel tells her that she will have a promise stating that her seed will multiply greatly. Just as God has spoken to Abraham and said that you will have be the father of many nations. He speaks to Hagar and says that out of you many nations shall, shall come. Because she is connected to the promise of Abraham now. The first thing I like to tell you is it, it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter if you were supposed to be a part or not. You can always get in on the promises of God. Now, we can look at this and we can begin to pull out, you know, there's, well, this happened and this happened. But let me tell you, God saw an Egyptian uh, servant in the desert uh, running away. And God says, you know what? It's all right. I'm going to let her in on my promises. So it doesn't matter who you are or what your background is. You're never out of the promises. You're never out of where you can get in on the promises of God. In fact, there's that song. I can't remember the rest of it. I just remember that this one line that says there are no outcasts. And there's people that, 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 that live for God yet still feel like an outcast. Hagar's a perfect example that there are no outcasts in the eyes of God. That there, there is no one past his promises. And we find that the angel not only tells Hagar this, that, that she will have a child. Of course, she knows she's going to have a child. She's pregnant. <laughs> try, try telling a pregnant woman, do you know you've got a kid coming? Yeah, they'll probably slap you anyway. The angel gives her the, tells her that her child, there'll be many nations that come. But then he also tells her the name of the child. Now, it, it really began to amaze me how much God spoke to Hagar. How much directions she received in her life. Ishmael is one of only six children in Scripture to, whose name was given by God before birth. We have Isaac, Moses, Solomon, Josiah, Jesus, and Ishmael. That's, that's pretty good company there. And so I begin to see that there's maybe a little bit more to this story, that, that Hagar's not just this rogue person doing things, but God was just as involved in her story as he was in many of the others that we see. 
And she names the well. She says, I'm going to name this well the God who lives in seas. The God, I know that God lives and that God sees me, which as the passage that we read a few chapters later seems very ironic because we know how the story plays out. But she said, this is the God who lives in seas. And so she returns and submits to Abraham and to Sarah. The story continues. Ishmael grows. Isaac is born. And contention begins to arise between the two children. We find where we picked up the story that this is the contention that's arising and at this point, uh, we find that, that Ishmael is probably about 16 years old, and Isaac is about two or three years old, somewhere in that vicinity. There's a large age gap, but contention has already arisen between the two of them. And so Sarah tells Abraham that Hagar and Ishmael, they have to leave. And, and Abraham is troubled by this. Don't forget, this was his son. Whether it came about through some way that wasn't quite God's plan, this was still his son. This had been his son for, for uh, uh, 14 years before Isaac came along. This had been his son. This was his, uh, the inheritance that he thought, this is, this is everything I'm giving is going to this boy. And then all of a sudden, his wife says, get rid of him. So Abraham, it tells us in the verses we read, he began to struggle with this. And God came and spoke to him and said, it's okay. He said, I'm going to confirm the promise with him. And then I want you just to listen to your wife. We need God to tell us that every so often, don't we? Listen to your wife. I mean, she tells us enough, but we need God to tell us every so often. And so Abraham consents, and Abraham sends her away, sends her away with Ishmael. Again, he's probably 16 or 17 years old. He sends him away, it says, with a bottle of water and some bread. It's hardly what you would expect for a firstborn son to be sent away with. But that's what Sarah wanted. Now, we don't know what was going on in Sarah's mind. We know that Sarah kind of had little running conversations going on in her own mind, Scripture tells us. And, and uh, we know from the story that she's, she's played a little bit of a part in this as well. She's, she's been pretty uh, 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 mean to Hagar. She's tried to put her in her place. And so we don't know if, if, if this was uh, strictly commanded by Sarah, just give him a bottle of water and some bread. We don't know if the idea was that you know what, just give them that, and if they make it, they make it. If they don't, they don't. We don't know if she was vindictive and just wanting them to die in the wilderness. Ancient geography suggests that there were towns, there were encampments within range of where uh, Abraham was camped at that time, but most people can uh, figure that they got lost somehow because they're found wandering in the wilderness. And they find themselves, Hagar and Ishmael, they're out of food, they're out of water. They're to the point of dehydration. So they're not just, they haven't just run out of water. They've been wandering for some time. We don't know how big the bottle of water was. Hopefully it was bigger than this between two people. We don't know if they just guzzled it all on the first day. We don't know if they just took little sips. But we do know that they're at the point where death is imminent. They're dehydrated. Ishmael's about to die. And it describes to us the desperation of their situation in the verses we read. Verses 15 and 16. It says, And the water was spent in the bottle, and she cast the child under one of the shrubs. And she went and sat down over against him a good way off, as it were a bow shop. For she said, Let me not see the death of the child. And she sat over against him and lift up her voice and wept. Think about where Hagar's at at this point. She's at the point where she is just made her child as comfortable as she could in the desert. 
She finds a, uh, it, it's in the desert, so it's probably some low-lying shrub. She puts him underneath this bush and walks away knowing her child is about to die and she can't watch it. She knows that's all there is. Says she went about a bow shot in the estimates range that she went anywhere from just without ear, without earshot distance so she couldn't hear her son's uh, cries all the way up to half a mile depending on who was shooting the bow. But this was the lady. She finds herself now in a very opposite situation. This is the same lady who named a well, he is the God who lives and sees. Very ironic now that she called a well that. Because now she's looking for a well and wondering where the God who lives and sees is. You see, she had named that well the God who lives and sees when she was sitting by a well. She was in the wilderness at that point in her life. This is a few chapters before when she's pregnant with Ishmael. She had named that well that. It was in the wilderness. She was escaping. She was, uh, she was trying. It was a rough situation she was trying to get herself out of. And God shows up in the wilderness while she's sitting by a well. And she says, you know what? This is a rough situation, but I know there's a God who lives and there's a God who sees. And I've been in those situations where things are getting a little rough and God shows up. And I say, thank God that he showed up. But you see, now she finds herself in a far worse situation. Now she finds herself with an empty bottle. There's no well that she can see. And this time she's not pregnant. She has a dying child, the very opposite of before. It doesn't say that she prayed. She just sat down and wept. It doesn't say that she interceded. Really, it gives us the picture as she didn't cast her child. She set her child under a bush and made him comfortable, then walked away, and it said she lifted up her voice and wept. She just began to cry. It shows a woman stretched to the breaking, as I'm sure any mother would be in that situation. And then something happens. It says, then God heard the voice of the lad. You know, I've been trying to make it. Well, anyway, I'll just leave that alone. I've just been trying to make it. We'll just leave it there. I've just been trying to make it. But then all of a sudden, Scripture tells us very plainly that God heard the voice of the lad. God heard the voice of the son. We don't know what was taking place with the boy, but God heard him. And I just want to remind you very simply this morning of this fact, first of all. You may not like the analogy, but let me remind you that there is a son that is crying out on your behalf. There's a son that is crying out for you. Because we get in situations sometimes, we get in situations and circumstances where really we're just like Hagar. All we can do is look at the empty bottle. We see the situation and it just causes us to weep. We get to the point where it seems like no prayers will even come out. But let me remind you that there is a son who is still being heard by God on your behalf. Luke chapter 22 says, And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not, and when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. Jesus said, Peter, I am praying for you. Now there's a lot of people that I would like to have praying for me, but I would love to have Jesus praying for me in my situation. I would love to know that Jesus is praying for me. We have the verse in Hebrews chapter 7. 
as it describes what Jesus does now. His role as high priest, and it says, seeing that he ever liveth to make intercession for them. I want to remind you this morning that there's a son who is praying for you. While nothing may be coming out of your mouth except tears and frustration and desperation at the situation, there's a son who is praying for you that God still hears a prayer. It may not be from your lips, but God hears a prayer coming up on your behalf. I'm thankful that there's someone that's still praying for me, even when it seems like I'm in the wilderness and the bottle is empty. I'm thankful there's someone who is still praying for me. And let me encourage you with this, because I don't think he just is praying for believers. I don't think he's just praying for me. But I believe this morning that there are backsliders. Some of your kids that are sitting this morning, and they find themselves sitting knowing that their bottle is empty, knowing that they have left what, what, what was the protection, what was the safety, knowing that all they have is an empty water bottle. Their life is empty. They can't even articulate what they feel, wondering where God is. But let me remind you, there's a sun who is still praying on their behalf. I believe Jesus is still interceding on their behalf, that God still hears the prayers. So I'm not going to give up. Even though my prayers for my lost loved ones and my friends, may get we- I may get weary with that. I may wonder where God is. Jesus is still praying. He's still calling out their names. The angel shows up and shows her the well. Angel shows up and says, God has heard the lad and hears a well. Now, this is the confusing part of the story. Two things could have happened, I think. There could have been more than that, but that I think. The first could be that in the situation that she looks around, there's no water. She sees that the bottle is empty and there's nothing there. It could be that God just miraculously provided a well. That God just all of a sudden said, I'm going to give well. I'm going to give him a well. Well, well, well. No. That God miraculously just provided a well. And that she just needed a divine revelation to see the provision of God. Sometimes God just provides exactly what we need. Sometimes there is no way. Sometimes there is no well. No well. No well. It's not Christmas yet. Confuse myself. Sometimes there is... There is, no, there is nothing there. It's not that we don't see it. It's not that we've missed it. Sometimes there really is nothing there in the middle of the wilderness. But God can still miraculously provide in the middle of any situation. Isaiah 41 says, when the poor and needy seek water, and there is none. That means there's none there. And their tongue faileth for thirst. That means they're in a bad state. I, the Lord, will hear them. I, the God of Israel, will not forsake them. Here's what he will do. I will open rivers and high places and fountains in the midst of the valleys. I will make the wilderness a pool of water and the dry land springs of water. Let me tell you, you may be looking around in your situation wondering where the well is, wondering where you're going to get any sustenance, wondering why the bottle is dry. God can provide a will, a well in the middle of the wilderness. He can provide what wasn't there before. You see, that's the amazing thing about serving a God who's a creator. How many of you have ever seen those old, I don't know if they do them now, all the cartoons are where now. Not that I sit around and watch cartoons, but man, they're dumb. <laughs> they don't make them like they used to. <laughs> you ever seen those ones though where every so often they put them in and the cartoon character was doing stuff, but then you would see the artist's hand come in and start drawing things? Ever seen those? 
and then start messing with the cartoon character and, and adding these other things in and the cartoon character's talking. You know what? I, I know it's kind of a goofy analogy, but you know what? When I serve a God who can create, he can reach down into, he can, in, the, in my cartoon character version where I'm looking around, looking for a well, all of a sudden he can reach down and he can draw a well exactly where I need it. He can create exactly what I need, where I need it in the middle of any situation. I'm thankful for that. So we have this option. We have that there was no well. And Jesus, our God, reached down and, and he just creates one. And all of a sudden, there's water. The second option is that the well was always there. It was always there. They just didn't see it. It could be that they just went right to the spot where a well was. At their, their last strength, they're ready to die. What worse place to die of thirst than near a well? You know, they say that, well, that's just, I got, I, got to, I got to end early today because I have to get a pie in the face. So maybe I'll just go long. How about that? <laughs> but what worse situation to die in of thirst than right by a well? So we have the second option that the well was always there. But for some reason, they could not see it. I venture to say, perhaps their current circumstance blinded their eyes to the provision that God had already provided. You see, it seems to me that God was very involved in the life of Hagar and Ishmael. Very involved. More than I even realize. And it seems, it seems uh, impossible to me that God... I, I think that God had some sort of leading and guiding... And I think God was leading and guiding them to a place where there was a well. And here's the amazing thing. He knew where that well was. He knew when that well was dug. I would venture to say that God provided a well for Hagar before Hagar may have even been born. There was provision provided before she ever knew she needed it. Genesis chapter 21. It says this though in verse 19. And God opened her eyes. And she saw a well of water, and she went and filled the bottle with water and gave the lad drink. We have here this phrase, God opened her eyes. Now, first of all, this is a perfect picture of salvation. Perfect picture. How many of you didn't know that God was that close till you got in a position where you needed him? Perfect picture of salvation. He is never far from us, Scripture says. But how long did I live my life thinking I'm far from God? But Scripture says he is never far from me. How many, I, I think salvation is really like this. I think the well's a long way off. I think salvation's far off. But all of a sudden, God opens my eyes and I see what I've been searching for, what I've been looking for. Everything that I've been thirsting for is right in front of me. As the song says, he was there all the time. I just didn't realize it. I just needed my eyes opened. It's exactly like salvation. Salvation is always near to us when we call. And so we find this, that God opens her eyes. Now, this language is used in several, in, in, in three other passages in Scripture. We find it in Numbers 22. This is the story of Balaam, where Balaam is trying to go uh, proclaim against Israel. And he's riding on his donkey, and his donkey keeps stopping at the same point in the road. And Balaam's beating the donkey and trying to do all kinds of stuff. And then it says, then the Lord opened the eyes of Balaam, and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way. <laughs> You know, some, well, that's another thing. Sometimes you don't plow through. Sometimes it is God stopping you. 
But it says the Lord opened the eyes of Balaam. You know whose eyes he didn't open? The donkey's. (laughs) The donkey already saw it. So it lets us know that God did not just provide an angel when he opened Balaam's eyes. The angel was already there. Balaam just couldn't see what was already there. In 2 Kings chapter 6 and verse 17, uh, the armies are arrayed against Israel. And and Elisha the prophet is there saying, it's all good. It's all good. You don't have to worry. What do you mean I don't have to worry? And then it says in verse 17 of chapter 6, And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray thee, open his eyes that he may see. This is the same words. Open his eyes that he may see. See what? What is already there. And it says, And the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw. And my, what a sight he saw. He saw the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire round about Elisha. He suddenly saw the armies that were always there. It wasn't that Elisha prayed, the guy's eyes were open, and all of a sudden an army was there. No, it was there the whole time. Just it couldn't be seen. And all of a sudden, this guy's faith, man, it skyrocketed. When you look around and suddenly realize there's horses and chariots surrounding, man, that that changes the situation. And then in Luke chapter 24, we find similar language as well. This is Jesus walking with two guys on the road to Emmaus after he has uh, risen from the dead. And he's walking there, and, and he's talking with them. They Estimates range maybe two hours they talked along that road, and then they invite him home for dinner. And it says, and it came to pass as he sat at meat with them, he took bread and blessed it and break it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they knew him and he vanished out of their sight. Jesus was there the whole time. Just all of a sudden their eyes were opened. And so based on this language, this similar language, we get the idea that, that although God can provide in any situation, he can provide exactly what's needed. In this particular instance, the well was always there. Just Hagar couldn't see it. There wasn't a problem with the angel in the story of Balaam. There wasn't a problem with the horses and chariots in Elisha's story. And there wasn't a problem with Jesus on the road to Emmaus. It it wasn't any of those things that were the issue. And I would say it wasn't the well's problem in Hagar's story. It was the people that couldn't see. The problem was not the angels. The problem was not the horses and the chariots. The problem was not Jesus' problem. The problem was Balaam's. The problem was the young man who was scared to death about what was going to happen. The problem was the two disciples on the road to Emmaus. The problem was Hagar, not the well or the angel or the horses and chariots. Hagar had been in the desert. I'm thankful I know that's not true. How about you? I'm thankful I know that when I've reached my end... That's only when he's just started. Paul says it this way, in my weaknesses, then he'll be strong. When I can't make it anymore, that's when God likes to show up. Why? Because I know I can't make it anymore. But her her attention was fixed on the provision, not on the provider. She was fixated on what she had received from the house of plenty. Now, we can get into all kinds of stuff. We can get into... Whatever, but I, I, I think Abraham's tense just very loosely can, could be uh, compared to the church just loosely for this analogy. Because you know what? I come to church and I get what I need. I come to church and I hear preaching. I, I feel his presence. I, I worship with other like-minded believers. I receive something when I come to church. And you know what? There's times you think you've said it probably, man, I wish I could just stay here. I wish I didn't have to leave this because it's, I feel like everything I need is just right here. But then we get out there. We get out there in life. And the sermon that we heard, what we felt, we know after a while, wow, man, that that bottle's getting a little bit empty. 
And we start thinking, man, if I could just get back to church, which I think you should come to church. But let me tell you, church isn't the answer. Jesus Christ is the answer. (laughs) That means that I don't have to get back to church to fill up the water bottle. That means that he knows where I am. He's the God that sees and lives. And I can stare fixated at this, but he can reach down in my life on a Tuesday when it seems far. And there's no, I can't get anyone on the text or the prayer line or anything. God can still do something in my life. God was wanting her to understand that the promise does not depend upon your water, but the promises all depend upon me. You see, her promise was ready to die. Everything that God had told her in the good times, every experience she'd had was about to die under a bush in the wilderness. And God was wanting to show her, you know what? The promises don't depend upon your provision. The promises don't depend upon you finding your way. The promises don't depend just all about you. No, I can supply what you need. They actually all rely upon me. And she had done everything she could. And that doesn't mean, well, I'm not going to pray. I'm not going to do anything. God, no, that's not what it means. But there's a point when I say, you know what, God? The bottle's getting low. I need you to take over. I need you to come in this situation. I need you to do something in my life. And I would venture, I, I believe that God has given each of us a well. I don't know how I ended up at this point. But I'm starting out with Hagar. And I think it's always good to end with the Holy Ghost. From H to H. I'm not going A to Z. I'm going H to H. But God was wanting her to understand that the promise is not about the bottle of provision that you've been given. You need to be in contact with the provider. It's not just about what you can do, but there's so much more that I can do. Isaiah chapter 12 and verse 3. It says, Therefore with joy shall ye draw water out of the wells of salvation. Now, I... A few Wednesdays ago, I, I, I mentioned I had a, a sermon I was getting all ready, and uh, then I was like, man, that's just, well, first of all, it was way too long, so stop that. And so what was going to be a, a, one, a one-night sermon, I've, I've got about two months' worth right now, so thank God I didn't do that on a Wednesday night. <laughs> but it's all coming back to the gospel. It's coming back to the gospel. You know, uh, Paul says, I'm worried unless unless you get confused and you're drawn away from the simplicity of the gospel. And I don't think that he's just necessarily meaning that it's simple, that if you're not smart, you can understand this. I think he's also meaning that here's the simple thing you need to understand. When you're in trouble, get back to the gospel. When you need something, get back to the gospel. And I believe Isaiah is mirroring this when he says, With joy shall you draw water out of the wells of salvation. Let me say to you that God has given you a well. He has given you the gospel. He has given you salvation. And this is what we like to do. Salvation in the gospel is step one. That's what we think it is. No, the gospel is everything. The gospel is not my starting point. The gospel is who I should be when I walk with God. The gospel affects every part of my life. It is not a starting point. It is not the basics. It is not just simplistic. No. And this tells me right here that when I'm in trouble, when I need something, Hagar had physical issues. She physically needed water. She needed God to make a way. She needed provision. And I believe what God is telling us is, you know what? If you'll go back to salvation, you'll find everything 
you need right there. Well, I've got bills to pay. Why don't you get back to salvation? Well, that doesn't even make sense. No, I understand it doesn't make sense. But the wells of salvation are deeper than we'll ever comprehend. They have more in them than I will ever need in my life. If I could just understand that there's a well of salvation within me. John chapter 7 verse 37 says, In the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. But this spake he of the Spirit. Let me tell you, there's a well inside of you if you have the Holy Ghost. There is everything that you need inside of that well that is dwelling inside of you. It is the Holy Ghost. You see, I think the problem is, I think the problem is, just like Balaam, just like the young man Elisha's story, just like the two disciples on the road to Emmaus, just like Hagar. I'm so fixated on the bottle. I'm so fixated on the donkey that won't move. I'm so fixated on the army that's out there. I'm so fixated on what I've lost because the Messiah is dead. You know what I need? I need God just to open my eyes to what's already there. What would change in my life if I began thinking, you know what, it's already there what I need. God, I just need you to open my eyes. I just need you to take my eyes off the empty water bottle. I just need you to take my eyes off the provision that I know I need, off the problem, off the circumstance that I'm in. Off, off. You have the Spirit of God inside of you. I think every time we come to church, that's a great time. Every time we come to just dip into the wells of salvation one more time and say, you know what? I, I, I don't know. This is some new song they're singing. I don't even know the words, but you know what? I feel the presence of God and I can dip into the wells of salvation. You know what? I, I, I'm feeling something and, and I don't feel that, that maybe uh, that... You know, some sermons just hit you and cut you to the core. Maybe you're in service and that one didn't cut you to the core. But you know what you can do? You can come up and you can say, you know what? I'm still going to the well of salvation again. Because I can get what I need from the well of salvation. I can get what I need when I begin drawing from the right source. I'm here to challenge you this morning. Pray that God would reveal the well that you have inside of you. That he's already provided that you need. The well was always there. God's provided you the well that you need. You keep looking at the empty water bottle, and he's trying to point out the well to you. I'm here to challenge you today. You, church is a great place to come when you have a need. It's a great place. If you need healing, deliverance, salvation, if you need anything, you can receive it today. But here's what I'm going to challenge you to do. Don't just come and fixate on your need. Why don't you look to the well today? Why don't you say, I know the water bottle's empty. I know it's looking like it's getting low, but you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to set this aside, and I'm going to say, Lord, show me the well, because that's where I know my sustenance. That's where I know my deliverance. That's where I know my salvation will come from as we stand this morning. I know Hagar to the Holy Ghost is a long way around to tell you that you should be thankful you have the Holy Ghost. But you should. What you have is inside of you, and that's not humanistic. No, that's what God has put inside of you, the Holy Ghost. I want us to pray this morning that the Lord would open our eyes and let us see. Maybe we need to see the chariots all around in our circumstance. Maybe we need to see that that's the angel of the Lord standing there. Maybe we need to see that we thought we were left and forsaken, the Messiah's gone, but he's standing there right next to us the whole time. Maybe we're about to die of thirst and we need the well revealed. I want us just to pray, Lord, reveal to me. Open my eyes, Lord, and let me see what it is I've been praying for, what I've been seeking, Lord. I pray that you would open my eyes, Lord.